Chapter Twelve of the Wild Irishman by Thomas William Hodgson, T. W. H. Crossland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Brandon. Chapter Twelve. Tom Moore. In the Treasury of Irish Poetry in the English Tongue, edited by Messrs. Stopford A. Brooke and T. W. Wollaston, Thomas Moore is represented by eleven pieces to wit the song of fenula the irish peasant to his mistress at the mid-hour of night when he who adores thee after the battle the light of other days on music echo as slow our ship no not more welcome and my birthday i do not suppose for a moment that the editors intended to suggest that this selection represents in any sense the more popular of moore's writings from the irish point of view only two of the lyrics indeed namely the light of other days and as slow our ship are really well known among lovers of poetry even in ireland we assume therefore that the remaining sets of verses have been inserted because in the opinion of mr stopford a brooke and his co-editor they are the best of more qua poet in the english tongue we quote here at length the song of fenula silent o moil be the roar of thy water break not ye breezes your chain of repose while murmuring mournfully lures lonely daughter tells to the night-star her tale of woes when shall the swan her death-note singing sleep with wings in darkness furled when will heaven its sweet bells ringing call my spirit from this stormy world sadly o moil to thy winter wave weeping fate bids me languish long ages away yet still in her darkness doth erin lie sleeping still doth the pure light its dawning delay when will that day-star mildly springing warm our isle with peace and love when will heaven its sweet bells ringing call my spirit to the fields above as the devil might inquire is this poetry i believe that i shall have with me the sounder critics when i say that it is small sentiment very carelessly set down in sixteen lines we have quite a number of different measures and moore would seem to have laboured under the impression that he was writing in one in other words the verses halt as to the sentiment nobody can question its utter banality what a critic of mr stopford brooke's calibre can see in it heaven alone knows he might have got better verses and better sentiment out of any average breach of promise case nor are the remaining pieces much above the standard required by those eminent judges of poetry the gentlemen who write more so for the drawing-room for myself i venture the opinion that more lives on the strength of rich and rare were the gems she wore the meeting of the waters the harp that once through tara's halls believe me if all those endearing young charms the minstrel boy the last rose of summer 
and the Canadian boat song, most of which efforts have been set to music and are thereby materially aided to survival, so that on the whole Thomas More may not be reckoned as in any sense a purveyor of the higher kinds of poetry. It is credible, however, to the Irish people that they should have produced and put their emotional and moral trust in a Moore rather than a Burns. But morals on one side, Burns is immeasurably the greater poet, even though at times he wrote drivel of the feeblest sort. All the same it must be confessed that the general consent, which keeps Moore at the head of the Irish poets, is sufficiently grounded. For weak vessel, though he may be, we do not find another Irish poet in the English tongue who could properly be placed above him. Write down, too, and including William Allingham, the history of Irish poetry in the English tongue has been the history of happy-go-lucky mediocrity. Even Mangan, who has latterly been credited with a share of the authentic fire, exhibits a facility, a slipshodness, and an aptness to the banal, which savor of the librettist. From his most considerable production, we take the following stanzas. The Nameless One Roll forth my song like the rushing river that sweeps along to the mighty sea. God will inspire me while I deliver my soul to thee. Tell thou the world when bones lie whitening amid the last homes of youth and eld, that there once was one whose veins ran lightning, no eye beheld. Tell how his boyhood was one drear night hour, how shone for him through his griefs and gloom. No star of all heaven sends to light our path to the tomb. Roll on, my song, and to after ages tell how disdaining all earth can give. He would have taught men from wisdom's pages the way to live. And tell how trampled, derided, hated, and worn by weakness, disease, and wrong, he fled for shelter to God, who mated his soul with song. With song, which always sublime or rapid, flowed like a rill in the morning beam, perchance not deep, but intense and rapid, a mountain stream. Tell how the nameless, condemned for years long, to herd with demons from hell beneath, saw things that made him, with groans and tears, long for even death. Go on to tell how, with genius wasted, Betrayed in friendship, befooled in love, With spirit shipwrecked and young hopes blasted, He still, still strove. There may be lyrical impulse here, But it is of quite an ordinary quality. The much vaunted line about veins that ran lightning Could, I think, be paralleled out of previous poets, and the first half of it is clumsy and cacophonous. Night hour and light hour might have stepped straight out of the comic poets, and the same may be said of years long and tears long, which J.K. Stephen would have chortled over for a metrical effect, and when we come to still, still strove, 
we are among the librettists with a vengeance i have seen james clarence mangan collocated with poe if comparisons with america must be made we should range him alongside that bright spirit ella wheeler wilcox for sir samuel ferguson he has been highly praised by mr swinburne aubrey de vere and of course by mr w b yeats mr yeats pronounces him to be the greatest poet ireland has produced one who among the somewhat sybaritic singers of his day was like some aged sea-king sitting among the inland wheat and poppies the savour of the sea about him and its strength hearken to the ancient sea-king then dire was their disorder as the wavering line at first swayed to and fro irresolute then all disrupted burst like waters from a broken dam effused upon the plain the shelter of kilalta's woods and winding glens to gain but keen-eyed domnal when he stood to view the rout ere long spying that white unmoving head amid the scattering throng exclaimed of all their broken host one only man i see not flying and i therefore judge him impotent to be of use of limb go take alive he cried and hither fetch the hoary-haired unmoving man a swift battalion went and breaking through the hindmost line where kellick sat hard by took him alive and chair and man up hoisting shoulder high they bore him back his hoary locks and red eyes gleaming far the grimmest standard yet displayed that day o'er all the war and grimly where they set him down he eyed the encircling ring of bishops and of chafing chiefs who stood about the king then with his crozier's nether end turned towards him bishop eric said wretch abhorred to thee it is we owe this bloody work by whose malignant counsel moved thy hapless nephew first sought impious aid of foreigners for which thou be accursed surely this is rank butterwoman's jog-trot to market the kind of thing perhaps that mr j hickory wood and mr arthur collins might joyously and jointly produce for the delight of the babies of england but for the greatest poet ireland has produced for the aged sea-king sitting among the inland wheat and poppies it is poor poor stuff indeed of course i do not suggest that sir samuel ferguson who really was a scotchman not a sea-king at all could not do better the fact however that the greatest poet ireland has produced managed to do so badly and was capable even of worse speaks at any rate a small volume for irish poetry the sole remaining irish poet worth troubling about is aubrey de vere and an examination of his work shows that while he persistently exercised himself on irish subjects and laid himself open to the charge of irish slackness and perfunctoriness he could write poetry of the kind which is entirely classic in its derivation but it is certain that he cannot be considered to have belonged to the far-famed celtic movement and that he was miles behind landor 
even in the severe classic vein i am afraid that broadly speaking ireland has not produced any poet of convincing greatness at all the treasury of irish poetry compared say with such a collection of english poetry as palgrave's golden treasury is a ghastly exhibition some of the moderns set forward by the editors have it is true accomplished work which is not without a certain distinction but the ancients thomas moore included are not for the reading of the discriminate indeed irish poetry in the english tongue is on the whole like ireland itself a decidedly tumble-down affair in a sense the genius of the country may be said to resemble the genius of japan that is to say while every irishman may be reckoned something of a poet in himself there are no irish poets just as while the japanese are all poets none of them has managed to evolve a respectable poem this i cannot help thinking is a pity for ireland and more to be sorrowed over than her lack of commercial aptitude than her poverty and than her wrongs there are those who tell us that the true poetry of the irish is hidden away in the memories of the peasantry taking the shape of gaelic folk-songs ballads and so forth no doubt much may be said for this theory particularly as there is a gaelic league which seems to be making a good deal of impression upon certain sections of the people at the same time it seems remarkable that if the poetry of the gael be so rich and ornate and satisfactory as those who are able to read it would have us believe nobody takes the trouble to put it before us in a form calculated to preserve it the gaelic character is pretty enough and i have seen odd translations of gaelic poetry which promised rather well for the bulk yet it seems more than doubtful if the druid singers as i suppose mr yeats would call them ever had among their ranks a homer or for that matter an anacreon or a theocritus and talking of the gaelic league i should like to note for the entertainment of persons of humour that when i visited its establishment in dublin some months back i found the upper portion of the window occupied by a placard which announced in large roman letters that a well-known leaguer was about to open a shop in dublin object to push the sale of irish provisions people are human even in ireland End of chapter twelve Recording by John Brandon.